Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're going to talk about a trilogy. Anthology. Trilogy. Okay. It's trilogy. a trilogy of terror. Well, a trilogy of that was humor. A, that was another movie. <laughs> Different. But I feel like it took some cues. We watched Cat's Eye. Cat's Eye. And that's There's what we're going to There's a cat in this movie. One cat. One one heroic cat with several names. The cat of that many names. Really loves to be picked up and doesn't fight at all. Okay. He also seems to perch on things like you notice, almost like he's sort of resting with his arms on top of things. He does. Yeah. He has this weird little position that I've never seen our cats do. So before we get started, how was your week? My week is actually actually is it's enjoyable. It was uh, we Got over the strange heat wave, the strange and sudden heat wave we had uh, a few weeks ago. Where it was almost unbearable, and all you could do is drag yourself home and go to sleep. I fear that when this drops, it will be hot again. Um, I'm crossing <laughs> my fingers. This, is, this one will come out on a holiday. Holiday. Which holiday will it be? Fourth of July. Happy Fourth of Fourth July, of everyone. July. That's good. So so we're recording it early because you're going away out of the state. Mm-hmm. I'm taking a trip. Secret. And so it's a surprise. <laughs> that's right. You kept asking where you were going and thinking that yes. your companion was being coy. Instead, <laughs> no. <laughs> you were just being not very smart. <laughs> well, I would not have put it quite that way. Thank you very much. Well, that's why I'm me and you're you. Let's talk about Cat's Eye. Wait, wait, wait. I what? need to ask you how your week was. I don't know yet. It hasn't happened. I live in the future and the past. All right. It's fine. I want to be working more and less at the same time, so. Working at what? You know, things that make me money. Oh, well, there's that. <laughs> no, I want to be doing things that don't make me money more. But I need to be doing things that make me money more. Haven't you heard that you do what you love and the money will follow? Yeah, but it's a lot. And I don't know who said that, but it's stupid. Yeah, I don't know. So, I love the podcasting, and also I love the crafting, and but they don't the pay dollar, dollar anything. Bill. It's not that I love the money. It's that I am required to have money so to pay other people. Well, money They're also, the ones that love money. It helps... If I could pay my rent in embroidery, that would be a different story. Oh, that would be so nice, but no. <laughs> so. Actually, you're very good. I appreciate your embroidery. Well, thank you very much. Now I feel like I'm going to have to put something on the page. Um, I don't know if I have anything appropriate. Uh, yes, the flying saucer. Okay, I'll put the flying saucer the on flying the page. The flying saucer is my favorite. Hint, hint. All right. So, it's not for you. I know. <laughs> I like it, though. All right, so um, we're going to talk about Cat's Eye. Yes, we're going to talk about Cat's Eye. Which is a Dino De Laurentiis film. It's a Louis Teague film. Yes. We've already for... seen a Louis Teague film. Now, I would like to bring up, as I, I really enjoyed this movie for its silliness, that Louis Teague maybe is a very underrated talent. He's a very good director, and also yeah. he knows how to edit effects. Right, he does really well. That's something that you get a sense of in this movie and in Kudrow, which he directed earlier. I would like everyone who can hear the sound of my voice, if you can find a copy of the movie Alligator. Oh, no. I'm a person it. that can hear your voice, and I don't want to do what you just well, asked me to do. Here's the thing. It's directed by Louis Teague. 
it is... Although I do want to see the movie Crawl that comes out this weekend, which could be basically called Alligator, so maybe I'm a hypocrite. Well, this film is about a giant alligator. Well, I would think so. That lives in the sewers. And it was written by John Sayles, of all people. Back That's when he was, weird. When he was earning money to make these brilliant ah, independent films. And he read that book, How to Make Film, or mm-hmm. How to Write Screenplays for Fun and Profit. Yeah, well, it was... <laughs> Which a, I'm sure was written 30 years after this movie came out. <laughs> um, it's a really fun movie. Uh, and I think it's a Roger Corman film. Why it don't you be. know all of this? Because I saw the movie a long it. time ago and really uh, admired it. Um, and it might not be a Roger Corman film, although, uh, although both John Sayles and uh, Louis Teague worked for Roger Corman. They learned his economical, fast school of filmmaking. But if you get a chance to see it, you really should, because it is so much more fun than it needs to be. It does not need to be that smart or that uh, sharp, uh, but it is pretty funny. And there's a lot of jabs at horror movies in general. It's almost a parody film, still being serious at the same time, a lot like the movie that we watched uh, for this podcast. This feels like an early version of Ah Hail. It's a movie with Betty White and an alligator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's which named is, after the location, and I can't That's right. Which is funny, because that's a running joke, how many great giant alligator movies are there. And there are actually, surprisingly, a few. There's a, one other that escapes my, uh, you know, my memory right now, but a, a giant alligator living in Australia, but... Other yeah yeah strangely enough for such a weird subject matter there's a couple of really good movies that you might want to watch but anyhow Cat's Eye Louis Teague so this is the tenth of the Stephen King movies that we have watched wow. I know and we're only up to 1985 <laughs> and this one is written by Stephen King mm-hmm. uh, based on two of his short stories and then he wrote a fresh uh, story for the movie itself. And this one, this is where Stephen King realized that he could reference his own self. And so he does. We see, at the very beginning of this movie, we see the cat chased by Cujo, almost hit by Christine. We see scenes from the dead zone. On a television set, Specifically that scene where uh, the... Herbert Lom playing the doctor. Yes, the doctor says that he would kill Hitler, which we discussed in the Dead Zone episode. And I think that's... There's also the weird... Now, what I like about this movie is that we now... It's it's a trope in movies to have Easter eggs, right? Yes. They he he front loaded it, and right. I'm like, is this where he started to build his Kingiverse? Mm-hmm. What is this where he realized, oh, I've written enough stuff now that I can go ahead and double now, was back. Was King responsible for this, or was that the the screenwriters or the director that was responsible the for all the screenwriter is Stephen King? No, I, okay, but um, all right. So I would assume that he self referenced himself. Um, I also think that. The fact that the director had worked on a previous thing right. and well, he, that Dino De Laurentiis mm. owns the rights to all of these things right. were very helpful because what we didn't see was there was no Shining, mm-hmm. there was no uh, Carrie, right. there was no Salem's Lot, uh, and there was no Children of the Corn. We haven't watched that one yet. Never mind. Oh, yes, we have. We have watched Children of the Corn. I know. I'm that's getting how, all of my things. And there's no Firestarter either. Right. So. 
Although having Drew Barrymore as the character probably is kind of like having Firestarter. So, um, oh, we're going to do our one minute or one sentence overview. Okay. This one's a cheat. All right, explain this to me like I'm a two-year-old, okay? Because there's an element to this thing. I just cannot get through my thick head. A stray cat is the linking element of three tales of suspense and horror. Now, I would argue that these are not particularly suspenseful or horrible. They're maybe a little bit of suspense and a little bit of humor. I don't know. I think... I don't know. I wasn't scared at any point. Well, a story like The Ledge... Yeah, it's if you have right. some height issue, heights issues, then maybe. So there are three stories. Mm-hmm. First, well, after we see the cat chased by all of the former Stephen King things, it's scooped up by a an employee of Quitter's Inc. And Quitter's Inc. is the first story that we see. Now, Quitter's Inc. is the story that I think about most when I think about this movie. Uh, the the first and the last. the The middle one falls away in my recollection. I don't know that I've ever seen this entire movie previous to last night. I know I've seen the Quitter's Inc. part of it, though. So that makes me think I've seen the whole thing? I don't know. Oh, also, the there's a weird part right before he gets scooped that he sees a mannequin that has the ghost of Drew Barrymore in it. And Drew Barrymore says... Help me. You have to help me, please. And then the cat gets scooped. I think technically it's a fetch. Um, in the... I don't know what that is. Okay. I need you to... <laughs> quite explain it. Which is a, not necessarily the ghost, but the a vision of a person who's in danger, who calls out for help. So she's not... She's Her story comes third in this trilo- this trilogy. So, yeah, and, and this warning ghost is a, a figure that keeps coming back in the movie talking to the cat. Yes. Which is, I guess, our final Drew Barrymore is in the first one as a character, mm-hmm. the second one as a feature in a commercial, and the third one as a character. She's mm-hmm. in, she plays three different characters on the movie mm-hmm. and but i think when she's talking to the cat she's the third character amanda that's my guess anyways but it's hard to tell because she seemed brunette yeah but she also was a ghost so or like a like a she was you know clear <laughs> she was translucent <laughs> so uh we have Quitter's Inc. Quitter's Inc. is a mob-run outfit that's going to get you to quit smoking come hell or high water. And James Woods is looking to quit smoking. Now. James Woods. Why don't you tell us about James Woods, Andy? James Woods is a problematic asshole. The oh, hold end. Um, I wouldn't recommend going on his Twitter feed. <laughs> okay. If you... you know, he's always been a bit of a dick. As he's gotten older, he's gotten more conservative and more of a dick, as many old people, old rich well, people do. Uh, it's not just even conservative. I think the matter is he's become sort of abusive and he really is abusive, but he's he's doing it from a conservative point of view, where he hurls the word snowflakes and mm. I, it's nonsense. Well, would you like to hear my James Wood story? Okay. All right. I never cared for him. He always seemed to be one of those people who 
is really, really over-anxious all the time, so... Yes, which is what he's sort of been hired to do, and he always felt to me like the B-level Jeff Goldblum, which... It might have actually been the other way around in reality, For a while, but <laughs> because he was he was considered a um, you know a big mainstream performer, and you watch his early performances, and he was part of that generation of actors that kind of came up together at the same time. William Hurt was another one; they were in the film together. Well, he's very good. Uh, William Hurt, uh, Sigourney Weaver, and James Woods, and they all kind of recall I witnessed. They all broke it really big. But um, I had a friend who worked with me at a bookstore. And one of his, he was a journalist, one of his experiences was going camping and uh, with a college friend, and they bumped into James Woods. In the woods? In the woods. Woods, woods? Woods was woods. And he says, yes, he was, uh, at first they were like, oh my God, it's James Woods. And he says he was there with, uh, even at that time, a very young woman. Yeah, that's the other thing, is he is undoubtedly preying on young women. And he says the guy was a, he never stopped speaking. He a, seems like a dude that would talk about himself in the third person. Talked a great deal. Well, not, I didn't mention the third person. You mentioned he talked a lot about these experiences in Hollywood and trying to enthrall this young woman who at this point was no longer interested. And he kept Yeah, the in, coke ran out, so... Well, that's the other thing. He kept inviting people to snort coke with him that doesn't while he was camping in the woods. So. At all. And they said at first it was like, oh, wow, this is hysterical. We ran into James Woods. And then after, like, you know, hanging out with him and roasting marshmallows and he's snorting cocaine in his tent, they're like... That's why he never stopped talking, by the way. That's what cocaine does. We're a way of getting away from him. It's like, hey, you know this. I've gotten the story I need. Right. I can go now. <laughs> he's not, he's clearly not going to be a BFF. Right. Like... But yeah, at first they were just really, because this was the height of when he was working with Oliver Stone and stuff uh, like that. So he was getting a lot of recognition, and he was a star at the time. He's become kind of um, a ornery character yes. actor now. I guess. and he's—I don't think he's particularly—he's uh, not easy to work with at this point. Yeah. I don't know what his former situation was, but I think at this point he mm-hmm. is a person that people choose not to work with. Right. So that's fine. In this, he just wants to quit smoking, and the mob. Is on. I you never see him pay, which mm-hmm. is crazy. But he's enlisted immediately, and he's going to be watched by these people, and they're going to make sure he doesn't smoke. And if he does smoke, something bad is going to happen to his wife. Right. Which is fucking wild. It's very pro. This story is problematic as hell. Because why do I get the consequences of your bad behavior? Well, what. The head of Quitters, Inc., who's played by Alan King, who is... He's very good. Now, Alan King is interesting. He comes from a generation of of mean comedians. And that was a thing. Okay, yep. Don Rickles, Jackie Gleason, who is... It's still a thing. Anthony Jeselnik is this. Who is physically, Gleason, though, enormous. He was a huge man. And so when he's yelling and shouting all the time, as a kid, I remember watching The Honeymooners going, God, it's kind of scary. Yeah. But he was really funny. Um, but he comes from that tradition of kind of mean comics, and so he under he plays the menace in this really well. He, yeah, he's creepy and he's funny at the same time. He is, and they ask him to do some ridiculous things because apparently sometimes when you're quitting smoking, mm-hmm. you hallucinate shit. Right. So at one point <laughs> he's he's uh, lip syncing 
Uh, it's Every Breath You Take, right, every breath you which take. is a song that comes up throughout the movie and really thematically almost uh, every line is appropriate to right. different themes in this film. It's a little it's a little bit like somebody went Hey, make a movie about this song. Yeah, and this is what odd. came out of Stephen King's brain. Uh, so we find out he he watches the titular cat of Cat's Eye. Well, I guess that's not the titular cat. The, the eye the is the titular eye. thing. Um, is in this metal room and it gets shocked from below, and he's like. So if you smoke and we're going to have somebody watching you for the first, I think it's four weeks or something. And even if you don't think that we are, we definitely are watching you. watching you. Every breath you take. Uh-huh. Every breath you take. Every move you make. Uh, and if you break a thing, if you, if you smoke a cigarette, your wife's going in the box. Right. Which is now, we had wild. seen this earlier that they dumped the cat they mentioned into a room with yeah, the, yeah. like electrical grid in the front. You were wondering how this was done without injuring the cat. That was, yes. I think it might have <laughs> been, I think that the sparks that you see flying might have been added after, is my suspicion. But how did they get the cat to jump around like that? Well, it's not hard to startle a jumpy cat. So. I mean, I guess, but the cat, well, I, mean, I, I guess it's I, a different cat. Like, if I want to get the cat to stop, you know, yeah, no, our our cats are not as a as a actors. scratching post. All I have to do is rattle my my house keys at them, and the thing jumps. You know, so yeah, I guess that's true. If it's an easily startled cat, I'm sure there was more of them. I just it had to be more of them because like this cat gets picked up constantly, constantly, and is fine with it. So I which think is the, the stunt cat was the one who just like jumping around all the time. Yeah, maybe. I'm absolutely certain no animals were harmed in the making of this movie. I feel like. If they were, mm-hmm. we would know about right, it exactly. because it's like the cat is a featured player, right? Like, mm-hmm. so he ends up smoking and she ends up in the box. And then apparently he stops smoking because then we see like six months later, mm-hmm. he's leaving another consultation. And apparently he's best friends now with the with the head of quit, quit, Quitters Inc. Yeah, which is really weird because they have electrocuted his wife yes. and then he's just chummy with them. Yeah. But I guess he got to quit smoking, so w- worth it. I We're all good, thank you. It's I never liked her anyhow. Right. Well, uh-uh. that was the thing: is Danetti says mm-hmm. you love your wife and your daughter. Oh, his daughter is a special needs girl played by Drew Barrymore. It's not overt. It's also not insulting. I was it's really not. ready to be like, "Oh, come on!" Right? No, but... it isn't. It really isn't. Um, she does a nice job as a yeah, she's, and she's like eight. A, she's a good actress, <laughs> and. Uh, it's only one scene, but mm-hmm. Donati says, you know, you love your wife and your kid. It's unusual these days. It's unusual these days, but it may be the, it may get you to stop smoking. Mm-hmm. Like you ha- you care about these people, right. so you're not, you don't, you're not callous in the way that they're treated. And mm-hmm. we're planning to treat them badly. Uh, and then there's, they're at a dinner uh, with the guy that got him to go in the first place, mm-hmm. whose name is Mr. Milk Toast. That's real. And his wife, Mrs. Milk Toast. Oh, because uh what we ha- what we hear is, oh, he's on a weight loss plan. Mm-hmm. He can't gain over he can't get over like 175 pounds or something. He's gained seven pounds in four months or whatever it is. Uh, but he has to maintain this weight. And she, he's like, Oh, what are you gonna do? Uh 
I can't remember what he says. He threatens to cut off the. He well, no, no, no. But but James Woods' character says, "What are you going to do?" Blah blah blah. And he goes, "No, but we will cut off your wife's finger." Maybe it was. Maybe it was. Will you cut off? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? You're going to cut off my pinky. And he goes, "No, no, no. We'll cut off your wife's pinky." And then at dinner, he notices Mrs. Milk Toast's pinky is half gone. So, what did you think of this segment? Uh, well, like I said, it's memorable mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I. Right. Remembered it from when I was young, much younger when I saw this. Uh, but it is wildly problem, like wildly problematic. The idea that family members have to pay for your sins for your sins is is like wild. And they're getting it on both ends. So right. presumably, uh, the money spent is coming out of the family budget on cigarettes. Mm-hmm. The secondhand smoke is going into them. And now, and like, it's just so much of a man's decisions being placed, like the consequences of a man's decisions being right. placed on his wife and daughter is, it's, it's There's odd. There's an odd feeling of property. Yes. We've damaged your property or we're even, and I think what struck me, Alan King is historical, but I think James Woods is miscast here. He's because doing I don't, a lot. I don't feel like at any point he really cares enough about his wife and daughter. Yeah, maybe, there maybe is his that. daughter. Maybe his daughter. He maybe does have his a nice daughter. Moment. Yes, but his wife. He doesn't seem to be like ever overly concerned that somebody's going to find out about this. In some of his moments, he's playing for laughs, and uh, and so it's almost like he didn't take the material seriously or something. Even though there's a, a wide strain of comedy through this segment, I just. He he wasn't really convincing to me as as such a great husband that he cares enough about his wife or even the character is unlikable because he's taking a smoke in his car and then discovers, of course, his wife has been put in this hot box where the cat used to be. Yes. So there's that. I don't know. Uh, it, yeah, it just felt... Yeah. It's very... I believe it is very faithful to the actual story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at, at one point, after the cat's been electrocuted, he runs away. He gets out. Right. He escapes. Uh, yeah. A cat that is so chill with being picked up by any Joe Schmo on the street, mm-hmm. it really crouches and hisses at a lot of people <laughs> in this movie. Um, he also is tapping his cigarettes before lighting them in a way that is definitely breaking them. Like, they're all, by the time he puts them in his mouth, mm-hmm. they're all bent to shit. And I'm just like, dude. <laughs> Maybe some doing? of the audience can explain this to me because I, I was never, I was never a smoker, so. You can tap your cigarette. It's to, it's to sort of, really comes from watching Humphrey Bogart movies because mm. he would do it. Right. It's supposed to reconfigure um, the tobacco so that it's even through the, Right. And leads to even smoking. And in those movies, it probably actually had a functional purpose. You do it in a hand-rolled no. cigarette. Okay. You don't need to do it to a Marlboro that came out of a machine. Right. It's evenly packed. That's what the machine's for. You know what I mean? Right. But he, yeah, he's tapping them, but he's like holding them right at the end of the filter. And so he he breaks them like constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I was just like, no, that's not, you don't appear to be a smoker. I bet you were, but... Yeah, it's... uh, Or you're bad at it. (laughs) Yeah. So, I don't think a wife needs to take on 
physical pain because her husband can't fucking well, control himself. I don't Maybe see... is it is it like an STD allegory? Like I don't I, I don't see why the <laughs> wife actually accepts him back when this is all done. That's the thing. There's a scene where she cuz she has taken with no information mm-hmm. um electrocuted. She doesn't see who's doing it or that her husband's there. And then he has to explain it to her, explain to her what has happened. Right. And there's a scene where the head guy and his thug are watching and she's like, he's like, uh, oh, I've seen this so many times I don't even need to listen to it with the sound on. Uh, in in about 30 seconds, she's either going to hug him so hard or slap him. Slap him. And the the goon says, I put, I'll bet. Ten bucks. Slap him. Right. And he's like, you're on. And, of course, she hugs him, stays with him. So, yeah, I don't... This is also one of those plots where it seems Ladies. like... Ladies! People don't <laughs> react the way they would in real life. They react the way the plot needs them to react. Yeah, that's true. Because if he, she bounces, then then they've got to move on to the daughter. Right. That's that's terrible for everyone, especially with a special needs daughter. <laughs> like, you, you've already, you know, put her at a disadvantage... Now we're going to electrocute her? Right. That seems I'm insane. not sure what the point of making the character special needs was in the first place. Like, I don't know. Was it to make him you? seem like less of a dick? I, I don't know. know. It didn't work. I don't know. So, yeah, he, well, James Woods always seems like a dick, so that's the problem. So then the cat escapes to Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. He gets out How of... How far away was he from the... How far away? Well, he was in yeah, New York. Because at one point he hops he was a train. In New York so the City. Cat, the cat. Okay. And then he gets. He goes up to. So he takes the Staten Island ferry. He takes the exactly the Staten Island ferry. And he goes to Jersey. Yes. Okay. And again, he hears the girl asking him for help. And then he tries to run across a. A busy. A street. busy street where he almost dies, but ends up causing a car accident. But on. This this running across the street, some people are betting on whether he's going to make it or not. And one of the women is like, my dad says that you should kill, drown all cats once they stop playing with string. Which I don't really, I think that means when they're not kittens anymore. But uh, Zach Smith still plays with string and he is an old man. I mean, he's not that old. He's 10. So I don't know really what that means. But also, I don't know why we have a woman advocating for the drowning of all cats in this movie. I'm just like, well, all these people fucking suck, I guess, huh? Well, the gambler in this movie, who mm-hmm. turned, in this segment, turns out to be the villain is Kenneth McMillan, who was the sheriff in yes. Salem's Lot. So I guess we do have a Salem's Lot crossover. Right. Uh, yes, his and name is Kressner. character actor, too. This we'll, oh, We also have a Creepshow crossover, because this story mm-hmm. was in Creepshow. This is the Ted Dance and Leslie Nielsen story in Creepshow. Except without the ghost element. No, that's element. true. There's no Swamp Thing in this one. Now, tell me if you felt this. I felt like the first two segments were very much like watching Roald Dahl's kind of you know, bet stories that he did. It felt like that. You know, people cross each other, people double-cross each other. I don't know these stories, so I couldn't say. But it felt... And I know that Stephen King was... They do have, like, a deeply, Mm. weirdly moral things, 
but I don't know that they're successful in telling those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because the, the problematic factors, like you described, are sort of distracting the fact right. that... Right. And it's, it may be a, a, a fact that it's 30 years on, mm-hmm. and we're like, uh, mm-hmm. why are these women Suffering. putting up with this? Right. <laughs> uh, so, Kressner, he is rich. Mm-hmm. He is a gambler. He has a wife that's stepping out on him with a tennis pro. And so he is kidnapping the tennis pro. He has kidnapped the tennis pro, has him taken to his penthouse, and basically is like, uh, you circumnavigate the ledge of the penthouse apartment, and if you can make it all the way around... You can have my wife. What does he say? My wife, the gold watch and everything. The girl, the gold, the watch, girl, and the gold watch and everything. Which, for people who grew up while this film was released, Robert Hayes had just in a television Oh, we should say, film. the tennis pro is Robert Hayes. Robert Hayes. Of Alien, or of uh, Airplane, right. who he did with Leslie Nielsen, who played the opposite character in the Creepshow right. version of exactly. this one. Uh, he had just done a TV movie uh, called The Girl, Girl, Watch, and Everything based on John McDonald novel about a man who finds a stopwatch that stops time. Oh, that's interesting. However, oh no, this is a film that is never going to be remade and probably will... Shouldn't be watched. I don't know. There's a scene where Robert Hayes escapes the mob by sneaking and hiding in a woman's bedroom. She comes home expecting it to be her boyfriend and makes love to him in the dark. And then yeah, he wakes up and tries to convince assault. her. Tries to convince her that uh, the love that she showed him, while she thought it was her boyfriend in a dark room, was actually real love, and therefore it's nothing to be ashamed of. It is a very problematic movie. Well, I would argue that she has nothing to be ashamed of, right. and he is a rapist. That's what I would argue. <laughs> There's a lot of that kind of thing in this movie. There's a lot of sort of like you know. To distract the villains who are chasing him down the beach, he stops time and runs off and drops a girl's bikini tops and then, you know, runs and hides and that distracts them long enough for him to get away. There's a lot of kind of, you know, adolescent humor in that movie that does not fly these days. Yeah. But the fact that they made a reference to it is pretty funny. Yeah. And it must have been a reference to it because Stephen King yeah. loves a reference. So... Norris, that's Robert Hayes' character, gets out on the ledge, and he makes it all the way around after punting a pigeon who is pecking the shit out of his ankle. We should talk about the pigeon, because the pigeon is a frightening creature. He's walking around the ledge, and mind you, he's being put on the ledge uh, by, um, it's Kenneth McMillan and Mike Starr, who plays his henchman, who's a six-foot-three actor who spent most of his career being alternately beaten up by people like Steven Seagal and Sammo Hung. Oh, really? That was that guy's job, was being giant, heavyset thug. And his list of credits is hysterical because it's like basically loud, angry New Yorker or guy who beats up people. But he's... Uh, you so, said his name is Mike Starr? Mm-hmm. I don't find him in here. Yeah, he's Ducky. His name is Ducky? Ducky, that's his name in the film. Woof. So... Well, there's a character in the beginning named Junk. Right. That's the one who scoops the cat in the first place. But, uh... Oh, yeah, here he is. He's walking around the ledge, 
And, oh, two uh, R's. I know this dude. Yeah, yeah. Everyone knows that dude. His, <laughs> his whole career is being a jerk and getting beaten up by the hero. That's like what he does. Um, but uh, Robert Hayes is walking around the ledge, this narrow ledge. What is it? Six inches wide around this building. And at some point, there is a pigeon, like a piebald pigeon, that lands next to him. And it's an evil pigeon because <laughs> it just keeps pegging at his ankle until it draws blood and it won't stop doing it. To be it. fair, I've never been pecked by a pigeon. Uh-huh. It is entirely possible that one peck will draw blood. But this thing is, it's not one. It's a lot. It's really persistent. It's like the vampire pigeon. I think the joke that you made is it drew, you know, it's tasted blood and it's going after him. But... It was like one of the strangest things. Like, why is this pigeon so so uh, violent? Yeah, and so he finds um like a little alcove, and he mm-hmm. goes in there, and then he's he punts the, the pigeon off of the building. You don't see it; it's just a ball of feathers. Right, no pigeons were harmed in the making of this film. And a squawk. Cats, however, maybe. And uh, then instead of having a reprise in this. Um, Alcove, he gets a fire hose turned on him, so he has to keep going. And he makes it all the way around. Mm-hmm. Ah, but then... Then... Stupid Crestner gives him a bag of money with his wife's head on top. Oh no, he killed his wife. Who could have seen this coming? <laughs> Certainly no one who saw Creepshow. Oh no. And uh, at that point... Norris, they end up fighting, and Norris gets his gun. Oh, that's what it was. He had planted a bunch of drugs Mm -hmm. and was going to call the police. So he was going to end up going to jail if he didn't do this. I was like, why didn't he just bounce? And then he... And also Ducky was forcing him, and Ducky was a very large man. Ducky is a large man. So he gets the gun away from him. Oh, because he... This whole time Albert's been treating... He he scooped up the cat and brought it home and gave it some milk, but then was kicking it and being mean to him, and he didn't like that. And so he trips him, and while he trips him... Yeah, the cat takes out uh, the henchman. Yes. In a really unusual... Like, he runs at the guy's legs, he trips, he falls, then the gun spills out, and suddenly they're in a life-and-death struggle over this gun, and he's able to get... Um, Norris gets the gun and forces Crestner onto the ledge. And guess what? The fat old man cannot make it, and he plummets to his death. Ah! In a weirdly prolonged scene, too. It's like he Ah! just... It reminds me of the Hudsucker proxy with the guy... I've never seen it. I know what you're talking about. And just sort of waiting to people as he's he's falling. Um, That's how long it takes this guy. Yeah, it's it's a long fall. And it's one of those weird pictures where... Or images, because... They're, they want to show the man falling, and so then the building sort of goes up behind him like a right. comic strip, and it, it yeah, always looks odd. a very old Hollywood kind of process screen effect where this, you know, there's an image running behind him, and while he stands there, obviously suspended on something, waving his hands and legs and screaming, that effect never convinced no. anybody. And then I feel like Norris probably took the money, any money that didn't have blood on it at least, and then bounced. Because he's he's without his love, mm-hmm. and he's got to go. And that's the end. So how did you feel about that one? It was fine. I saw it already once, though. So I what? mean, it's a little bit forgettable. Mm-hmm. Robert Hayes is better in this one than James Woods is in the first one. 
Right. I had thought when I saw that Robert Hay was, was in this that he might play James Woods' brother because I feel like they could be brothers, but then they weren't. I think that um, Stephen King references a lot of literature, too. Mm-hmm. And um, this reminded me a lot of a story that I know that King read, which is Jack Finney, uh, his story, Contents of a Dead Man's Pockets. Okay. Where a man uh, loses, he doesn't go out with his young wife, he uh, has work to do at home, they live in an apartment building, uh, his work blows out an open window and it's on the ledge, so as what he feels will be the best story to tell his co-workers, he climbs out on the ledge Don't do it. to get his work and then realizes that he might not get back in the building. Um, and it's a great story because it's all about him thinking, what the hell did I do this for? Why am I trying so hard to impress my people at work? These people at work. Mm-hmm. Um, my pretty young wife is probably out talking, to, you know, flirting with some stranger. Yeah. In a crowded movie theater, and the great kicker to the story is he finally gets back into the um, into the uh, window that he right. left, and the whole time he's fantasizing about what will happen if, because he found his piece of paper, he stuffed it in his pocket. And that's the name of the story: contents of a dead man's pockets. He's wondering what would happen if they scraped his body off the cement and found his. Work in it. Like, what was the story that we'd reconstruct? And and it ends with him deciding to go out and join his wife at the movies while the window, having been left open, blows the same papers back out into the the window again. But at this point, he doesn't care because he's like, Yeah, but still, a man needs to learn how to use a screen. Okay, there we are. (laughs) Or at least close a damn window. But, um, yeah, right. It felt like a reference to that. There's a couple of gags in here that are almost too much for me. Where he's hanging off uh, the letters on the sign, and I'm going, how did he get back up again to... He has a lot of upper body strength. He was a tennis tennis pro. pro. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. But, yeah, um, I like this one a lot better than the first story, because I kind of do care what happens to Robert Hayes' character, because he's getting a rough deal. Once again, the women in in this story is disposable. Well, literally. Um, you, you know, she you see you her... You never at, see her. Well, no, you see her at the very beginning when he's getting, you know, I she's mean, I guess. being packed away on the bus, and then you see not even... You just see her head, and I have a feeling that that visual effect was less than convincing because you barely see that. Yeah, and Louis Teague, or the editors that he works with, know when the fuck to cut away. Right, it's just like... It wasn't is... like in Firestarter where mm-hmm. George C. Scott hits a dummy, and then we just watch a dummy... Just a rubber face for way too long. Like, hey, guys. Hey, guys. I don't think the the payoff was enough for that, too. I feel like what we got from that shot of the dummy being struck could have been done with editing and not with a really, you know, possibly expensive rubber dummy. Because it was a fairly accurate reconstruction of the actor's face, but we're just looking at it being dented and going, oh, okay, well, that, that looks really fake. So anyhow, the third segment. So then the cat mm-hmm. uh, gets on a train and goes to North Carolina. Wilmington, North Carolina. Perched, as this cat often is. And Amanda. We've got our third Drew Barrymore. Oh, also, Drew Barrymore was in a commercial in the previous one. Mm-hmm. Sort of doing a Shirley ones. Temple kind of thing. It, yeah. And uh, Amanda wants to keep the cat. Finally, the cat gets a name. The name is General. It's not a great name. Well, I would have named him The gambler named it Sebastian at one point. 
didn't he? Something really yeah, maybe something like that. Or, you know, grand eloquent for a cat. Um, but yeah, uh, general. But mom says no because you've got a parakeet and it's going to kill the parakeet. Mm-hmm. And then dad makes um, an ethnically insensitive joke about her mom. Mocks her mom's accent. Accent, and like mock, mocks the mother's mother's accent. Mm-hmm. So his mother-in-law's accent, um, and talks about how she says no cats inside because they sit on your chest and try and steal your breath. Now, mind you, I have to say, my mom believed this. Wouldn't have a cat in the house. And then at one point, early in the thing, before the cat even gets into the house. We hear the snuffling, and we're in a low point of view. And I think you thought it was the cat, I but it wasn't it was the cat. cat. It wasn't, because, well, for many reasons, it just wasn't. But the caption says, creature breathing heavily. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well, we it's not the, the cat. And also, we're not going to suddenly get a cat point of view now. Mm-hmm. We would have had this before now, I think. We're right. in the end of I the I was a little confused because it's intercut with footage of the cat running around. And it's like <laughs> like heavy breathing and it's right. running and it's like chuckling to itself and uh, Amanda wants a cat because there's a monster in her wall and it's trying to hurt her and the cat will keep it away. And guys, she's right. There's a monster in her wall and the cat will keep it away. What's trying to steal her breath? The monster in the wall, which is created by Carlo Rambaldi. Uh-huh. And it's an amazing thing because it's definitely like either a dude or a kid in a costume, but it's made to look, what, like five inches tall? Yeah. Now, this is something that when I saw, remember, Dino De Laurentiis, an Italian producer, has a lot of his crew from his... Uh, Studios in Italy, mm-hmm. working on the pictures. So Carlo Rambaldi is one of those guys who was a, a special effects genius who did the original E.T. and the 1976 King Kong with Rick Baker. So he's just a remarkable special effects person. And another one's in the movie that I pointed out to you in his final credits is a, a Spanish special effects person named Emilio Luis del Rio. Now, this is a guy who made films in Spain. And one of his what his gifts were, one of his gifts was um, forced perspective. Right. Which is, to explain really briefly for the audience, you have half of a set built in front of you, half of a set built 50 feet away, and then you use a pulled focus lens and it flattens out the image so it looks like someone standing next to somebody else who's five inches tall. Right. A lot of this was used in Lord of the Rings. I was going to say, is this how they made Frodo small? Right, and it saved a lot of Gen time of and money for it because sometimes like post, even CGI effects like that uh, don't work as well because they take time to process the So footage. this is one of those quote-unquote in-camera effects, right? It's right? in-camera effect. It's, that's a phrase that always baffles me, right. um, but that makes sense. The physically in the world, mm-hmm. I'm capturing a picture of a blown up mm-hmm. thing and a regular size thing and I'm putting right. them together. And Got it, it really it's when it's done well, it's absolutely seamless and kind of freaky because you don't especially in older films, you saw the seams a lot when they use process right. photography. It makes this yeah, weird. You kind don't of, have that weird outline of right. this is clearly on a blue screen or a green right. screen. Because you the don't reason have why that, that would happen is that you would photograph it 
and the image would be transparent, so they would have a photographic negative behind it. Okay. And that's what made the line, because it was a little bit bigger than the right. image in front of it. And so you see that when you're watching a lot of the original Star Wars movies. Everything has a sort of heavy black line black around line it. Black line around it, yeah. Um, and uh, I think Stanley Kubrick was the person in 2001, you never see that, because he was so disenchanted with that kind of visual effect that he did elaborate steps to, to make sure that never have happened. That. Right. But, um, but yeah, here it actually really works very well, because this creature... And I think we talked about how it really resembles Brian Froud's art. Yes, I, I, the creature uh, looks like a Brian Froud. And the guy um, who did Dark Crystal, and he did some other stuff. Mm-hmm. He worked with Jim Henson. And several books about fairies. Right, fairies. I couldn't find a link between the two. Like that he was No, the I think it, it, it may just be uh, inspired and, by right. type thing. And I actually think the troll is kind of a menacing creature. It is. First of all, its mouth is so big. Right. Uh... It fights the cat. Mm-hmm. The cat gets shipped. Like the the mom gives it tuna and goat, which is wild out of a can. I don't Mark, think that's wait, a thing. Okay, here's yet. the great part: the can is marked tuna and goat. Yes, it's just when was that a, a flavor I, combination I that don't, cats no, like? I don't. Well, and I don't. I legitimately don't think that's a thing you can buy. I think that they were like, well, it's tuna. But we can't use this fucking chicken of the sea label, so make something ridiculous. Okay. Mm. Um, and then takes it to the pound, but then it gets away. I don't remember how it got away. The cat gets away because it senses the girl's in danger and it escapes um, a day short of being executed. That's right. Which is wild because it got uh, turned in that day and then it right. was scheduled for termination the next day. I'm just like, give it a week, give it a full business day. Jesus. Uh, and he goes back, and then he goes in, and then he attacks, and and the this troll. monster is standing on Drew Barrymore's chest mm. and sucking her breath away, and it has a tiny dagger, cool dagger too. It's, it's like one a of, it's like wavy. Yeah, it's wavy. Uh, and then they fight, they fight, they fight, they fight. Mm. Well, the first night they fight, and um, they knock over the birdcage, and Polly dies, and all of well, mom's he fears. The first. He crawls under the hood the, uh, and kills the bird, or he eats the bird. It's a different bird. That's an outside no, 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 bird. No, 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 not the cat. The troll. Oh, the troll, the murders troll the bird murdered first. the bird. Okay, gotcha. Because the bird was making noise when it oh, crawled right. into the room. Oh, right. It was like... And the a... troll comes in through this weird kind of um, it's a... self-sealing mouse yeah. hole in, yes. in the baseboard of the little girl's room. And runs back in, and it sort of seals up. And the first time it got chased away, not before, it wounded General. It's actually pretty yeah. gross. It's yeah, like it's it got a, it. like a stab wound in his shoulder. Right. Just like, and so the dad, who's played by James Naughton, who, if you watch television, has been around 100 million years. This is a guy who's... 100 million years? Absolutely. He's been since the Jurassic era of television. Wow. Um, he, uh, uh, yeah, and just to mention, the parents are Candy Clark and James Naughton. Candy Clark is a very eccentric actress who was an American graffiti and the man who fell to earth and was sort of one of the 70s actresses who was just oddball enough to where, like Shelley Duvall in the other film that we saw, she never had a wide audience, but there were always, every time you see her, you know she's going to contribute something weird to every character that she plays. She's just one of those people, and she's a lot of fun to watch. And in this movie, she's like ridiculously anti-cat. Yeah, it, to a point where like I'm like, what did a cat do to you? <laughs> right. Uh, and but General comes back and mm-hmm. ends up fighting this thing, and then the 
they hear screaming, and she's you know Drew Drew wakes up while they're fighting, and but she's too weak because some of her breath has been dry. That's out. right, and um, or the door closes and gets locked. Like well, the trill puts like a door stopper so the door yeah, can't open. Can't so open. The parents are trying to get in and they can't. And then I keep wanting to call him Sarge General. Mm-hmm. Uh, fights him and mm-hmm. gets him on the turntable and speeds it up and right. speeds it up and speeds it up. What's the song? It's Every breath you take again, again, again. Play this that is, ridiculous speed. It's and so he, he turns it up super fast, and then the troll gets flung off and mushed in the fan. Which a really strong fan. This fan shouldn't be in a children's room. This fan should be in front of an airplane, helping it lift into the air. Frankly, it's that strong a fan. And finally, the door gets opened, and she's um, she says, it, "General got him up there," and. It got, mu- like, he mushed the monster and the fan, and they go and they pick up this tiny sword, uh-huh. and there's, like, a fully, there's a full arm with a little hand uh-huh. there. There's blood. I'm just like, I don't know what you tell yourself. This was something <laughs> I felt was a great moment, because the look on the parents' faces is, and I was thinking, I mentioned that to you, how horrifying would it be if you it found something that fucking terrifying. In the room, and they it, all agree not to talk I'd about it. I'd just be it. like... Oh shit, monsters are real then. Right. Uh, I'm too old to come to terms with that fact, so right. I don't know what we're going to do here. <laughs> like, they agree yeah, to be silent it'd be about it. Wild. And this gives. Uh, but she gets to keep general. She blackmails her mom. Into she does. And, and her mom calls her out on it, and, her, and she's like, mm hmm, that's yep. correct. That's what's happening, mom. <laughs> and. Uh, you have a great grasp on this situation, mom. Yep, you figured it out. And then at the end, we see the general patting up Drew Barrymore's chest and looking at her in her face. And you're like, oh, is it going to steal her breath too? But then no, it doesn't. just looks her in the face. And then she wakes up and she giggles and she hugs him. And that's the end of the movie. Yes, it's a happy ending for this poor cat who's been electrocuted, who's run through traffic, who uh, has been kidnapped repeatedly. Was forced to eat goat. Right. <laughs> I thought it was tuna. Not today, cat. Oh my god! I still, yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. And it was good. It was I, fun. It, it was, was very silly. Really that third piece, I think, uh, is my favorite. It also reminds me of that tales for tales of terror uh, the, with the the, the, the finish doll. Zuni finish doll. Um, not as starkly no. scary because there's a child involved. So mm. yeah, let's tone that shit down a little bit. But. This thing is creepy. I think that I liked the whole movie. There's a tradition of anthology movies. Mostly there was a Hammer Studios, which did all the Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing and the, the Dracula and Frankenstein films. Mm-hmm. And there was a rival studio called Amicus. And yeah. they hired Robert Bloch, who is one of Stephen King's mentors. He wrote Jaws. No, he wrote Psycho. Didn't he write the book Jaws? Peter Benchley wrote Jaws. Oh, hell. I take it back. Okay. I'm so sorry. So Robert he wrote Block Psycho. <laughs> wrote Psycho and also wrote a lot for Alfred Hitchcock's, uh, well, he had an hour-long show. He had a half-an-hour show. Robert Block wrote a lot of stuff for Alfred Hitchcock. And so the producers uh, at Amica Studios wanted to do a rival uh, kind of English production uh, for, you know, rivals to the Hammer films. So they did these anthology movies, Dr. Mm-hmm. Terror's House of Horror, The House That Dripped Blood, all these things. Yeah. And so this movie a looks like... A lot of like, things where it's uh-huh. strangers meet in the rain in a hotel or right, something. Exactly. And Tales from the Crypt. And telling their stories. Yeah. And then it turns out they're all, you know, Dr. Terror's House of Horror is 
there's a bunch of guys, Donald Sutherland and a couple of others, they're on a train, Christopher Lee, they're all on a train, and then Peter Cushing in really weird makeup with a dramatic accent comes on and reads their features using tarot cards. Okay. And each one has a story to tell, and at the of end of course. the story you find out he's actually death and they're all dead. And... It's a real Canterbury Tales situation. Right. <laughs> but there was, they did, oh, six or seven of those kind of films. Yeah. And I think this is a call to those films. Yeah, there's fewer of those now. Mm-hmm. Which um, is a pity because they're fun. But horror, uh-huh. there are still, there's at least one anthology type horror movie that's mm-hmm. released every year. Yeah. Um, there was one recently that was, um, well, I don't want to say recently, there was one from a bunch of Asian countries mm-hmm. uh, years ago. I want to, now I guess extreme. it was like a decade right. ago. Uh, the one with uh, Biling right. eating babies. Uh, uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and um, there was one fairly, in the last couple of years, that mm-hmm. was all women directed. But they're all horror. Mm-hmm. Horror lends itself to anthology, I think, better than uh, other And it started with things. probably one of the best horror movies ever made, The Dead of Night, um, which is a really, if you ever find it, 1946, 47, it's a very creepy movie and it's wonderful. But um, I think it works well for horror because if you get bored, in 15 minutes there will be another segment. That's part of it. Right. Um, many, uh-huh. I'm not going to say all, but I would say probably most horror plots are very bare bones. It's, right. it's, an, it's the seed of an idea that is scary. Mm-hmm. And making anything... Like, horror movies shouldn't be hours they should long. Be, no, they they should, should be 95 minutes. Horror movies and rom-coms mm-hmm. need to top out at about a 92. But a lot of things are too thin even for that. Right. So give me a... Yeah, give me a tight 20, a tight 30. Mm-hmm. Also, I it's a lot of tension to hold, especially if it's a re, like right. I recently showed you a segment from the House of Drip Blood with Christopher Lee, yeah. as a man who has a who's terrified of his daughter. Yes, and I think that segment. What I liked about it, it all held together. It wasn't right. too long. It made its point and it got out. Yeah, but it. I mean, my pro- my only problem with yeah. that was it was very reminiscent of uh, that Twilight Zone episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kid who everybody kowtowed right. to. It, um, but the Twilight Zone is a right. thing for the same reason. Right, exactly. It because really 44 well. minutes is a good amount of time to stress people out and then bounce. That's why I remember Oliver Stone tried his hand at doing horror. And he said that he failed. He did two horror films. Was The Hand one of them? The Hand was one of them, which you and I both saw and realized. I haven't seen had. since I was very young. And he, I just... Yeah. The losing of The Hand is traumatic to yeah. me, and I remember nothing else from the film. But he realized that he sort of failed to get this across, and it takes a certain kind of director to do this, because you have to hold attention for a long time. And there are some directors who really know how to make it work, and some who don't. Right. Um, this film, I think, had the knack of keeping everything moving, which is a good way of doing it. Just keep it going. Right. And because, I think, Louis Teague and the writer, Stephen King, and yeah. others realized that it's sometimes hard to take some of the horror tropes seriously. They really played some of it for humor. For humor. This is a funny movie. Even the troll story. Yes. There's some really... The fight between the cat and the troll is hysterical because the creature is constantly like swearing in some kind of foreign language. It clearly is swearing at it. You don't understand what it's saying because it's not speaking English, but it's clearly swearing at it. And he's always, you know... 
he's a menace, but at the same time, does he's really there's a really ridiculous bit where it does like a somersault backwards and mm-hmm. lands on his feet and it holds on to some uh, birthday balloons or something and is trying to move across the room and the cat's just sort of batting at it like yeah. he's playing yes. with a, a toy. He, like he's on these mylar helium balloons right. but his weight is too much for right. them so he thinks he's going to get to safety and then they, they just start sort of sinking down <laughs> back towards the cat um, and then there is an element of the ridiculous uh-huh. to someone in all of the right. uh, the, the things they're keeping it light mm-hmm. so that that tension is never really right. there which once again I'm fine with mm-hmm. when you are selling me a movie with Drew Barrymore in it. Well, with Drew Barrymore in danger also, again. Yeah. It's like, we've talked about that too. A horror movie so unpleasant, you don't need to see it a second time. Yeah. And that's not what they wanted. They wanted a popcorn movie. No. And they yes. got one. And this is a movie mm. you could definitely watch with people. Right. With drinks and yeah. laugh and it's, at it's it. It's kind and... of like, do you want to... And we, but it's also well made. Yes, it's very well made. It's like, do you want to watch Hereditary a second time? I don't. Do you need to watch, I mean... I've seen Suspiria more than once, but still, that's a hard movie to We're take. We're not going to have this conversation you know, again. <laughs> but I'm, I'm thinking about the movies that were just, they were really effective, but like, okay, I... And even not horror movies, there are certain movies like Apocalypto, I don't need to see again. Yeah. I was so tense watching that movie mm-hmm. that I, I felt like it was a workout and I'm good. Right. I don't need to watch it again. And it was enjo- you were enjoying it while you were watching it, and it's like, okay, I'm done. Yep. The Witch, I think, is another one where it's like the movie at times was so unpleasant. Yeah. Where I'm going, okay, I'm really glad I saw that. I don't yep. ever need to... Cause Super really... slow burns are another thing like that because you're mm-hmm. tense in a different way. And for an elongated mm-hmm. period of time, that can be exhausting. So There's, I'm very careful about the movies that I watch. Part of this is because it stays with me. I saw Carnival of Souls when I was a really young kid, and for 30 years, images from that movie stayed with me until I saw it again because it was. I feel like that was too space. young for you to watch that. Well, movie. it was just on television at the time, and I was alone in the house. And I was like, "What is this about?" Ah. And to this day, I'm I'm planning a road trip. I don't know how I'm going to handle being on a road at night because I saw that movie 30 years Y'all ago. Y'all should not be driving that much at night. It's it's right. uh, summer. But it's the desert. Um, so I think that the other thing is, um, like, I will never watch The Human Centipede. I will never. Yeah. Cause it's like, and I'm very glad that Netflix has stopped trying to get me to watch yeah, Suit of The Human Centipede because I was a little afraid that, like, in the middle of the night one night, mm-hmm. I was going to succumb to their constant, hey, this mm-hmm. is a thing. Uh, I wished for a while that Netflix would have, like, a like a no-no box that right. I could just send things to. I exactly. never want to hear about this. I never want to Through see like about this. YouTube. I don't you can, want to watch like it. There's like a whole click on not interested. Not and interested. Have have exactly. Um, yes, because uh, I understand what human centipede is. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine with the person who made it making it and the people who want to watch it watching it. Right. I do not want to be among those people. Mm-hmm. Um, here's my reason. You've done this to these people. We know mm-hmm. the we know the premise of the film. Right. You have disfigured and demoralized these people to such a point where all I can do is hope that they can kill themselves quickly. Well, which is of... not what I want to watch a movie thinking for I... however long it's gonna be. I don't know that I need to see people tortured. 
I don't. I don't know that I ever need to see any more sexual violence than I've seen growing up in films. Yeah, there's a movie coming out with a with some very graphic sex scenes or rape mm-hmm. scenes that I think I'm gonna go ahead and opt out. Right, of. and it doesn't matter to me if I'm watching a movie that has um, really something important to say. I also feel like because of the fact that a movie can stay with me for thirty years and images and affect the way that yeah. I live my life. I don't need to see something no. that's going to be really, really horrible. Right. And like, for instance, uh, Michael Hanukkah. Yeah. Um, There's what, a good example. What's the movie that he remade? Uh, Funny Games. Funny Games. So he remade mm. a movie almost shot for shot um, that he made in his native country. Denmark? Mm, Is he German? Sorry if I'm wrong. No, he's not. It's a Scandinavian country. Then he remade an, an English version, uh, an American version. Mm. With Mike Pitt, who I actually really like. Uh, so I was like, oh, I'll watch this. And about 20 minutes in, I turned it off. And I was like, oh, I, I see what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I don't need to see the rest of this right. movie. All that's going to happen is that these two young men are going to torture this family more and more and more. And I don't right. need it. And I looked it up online. And Michael Hanukkah was like, if you feel like you don't need to be watching this movie, cool. I didn't make this movie for you. I made this movie for the people who are like, show me more. Because it's about that voyeurism, uh-huh. that sort of... Yes. Uh. Um, and it's trying to mm. prove a point to the people who, to whom a, pro- a point would be directed. Right. He doesn't need to prove that point to me because I am not one right. of said people. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. I'm glad I didn't see it in a theater because I would have been pissed. <laughs> During the, the 70s, there was a lot of movies that challenged Last House on the Left. Right. I Spit on Your Grave. These were exploitation movies, but they were still challenging standards in in And my filming. understanding is even though you don't mm-hmm. like his work, uh, Hostel falls into that same yeah, category. Yeah, I, I don't want to see people being... T- people suffering is not a big thing for me. Yeah, I don't... I don't understand love it. Love it. But I saw uh, the first Saw movie, and I liked it because I like puzzles and terrible I li- production no, this is value. I saw it. I kind of liked it at the time, is that I was a student filmmaker at the time. Uh-huh. And so the idea of these people shooting this movie... I'm being this, like, you won't hire me? Fine. Right. Fuck you. I'm making I was just like, I was really... I'm going to stand up for yeah. them. This is like, and it is really... And I think that right. first one is great for that. It's a very low-budget film that Uh looks like a very low-budget film, Uh but it's got interesting Uh twists. It's got... Those puzzles were interesting. The franchise got more and more away from... uh, Into that torture... Torture porn, yeah. ...area. And I don't think I've seen one since the third one. Uh, yeah. And that's fine. I don't. I just don't need to. Uh, It has my favorite car chase of all time, which is apparently... (laughs) <laughs> a stationary car, and somebody's throwing dirt in front of a fan. Well, the actor crouches behind the glass, and the the, the zoom lens is activated, so it's supposed to give the sense of movement. That was that has to be my favorite car chase. I love that. Like, yeah, nothing's well, actually like, happening. Hey guys, <laughs> if you can't afford to be outside, don't just don't car. like. That just, was something. Also, uh-huh. it's not a they're like right. dramatically. Yeah. You could have just put the people where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. You didn't need this in between right. car chase. You didn't need it. So. Yeah, I, that's that was a big thing when I was a student filmmaker as yeah. well. If you can't pull it off, don't just don't, just don't, don't. find You could even way. film it, uh-huh. and then in the edit, you could go. Mm, yeah, this is not working. <laughs> I don't know not. why I'm doing this. 
So, uh, yeah, but I, I think that first one is mm-hmm. good yeah. for the reason. But, but I think then then they veer. It's, again, on that borderline, do you ever need to see it again once you've seen it? Or is that like, I'm... To me, the uh, a thing with uh-huh. twist films is I probably... Well, I'll probably watch it one more time uh-huh. to see if I can see giveaways before mm-hmm. whatever a, re- a reveal is. Mm-hmm. And then I'm good. <laughs> I right. only need to see a but thing twice. I feel like... Like I said, getting back to this subject, when there's a movie that is so unpleasant or so whatever, you can't watch it a second time, this is not what they were aiming at. No. I think that this was the sorbet in the meal. Yes. And it was fun. It yeah, was It, it was is really fun. entertaining. It's, Although I do think that it, it uh-huh. peaks and valleys. I think mm-hmm. the strongest two are the end piece. Right. Uh, ones. The middle I one. think the best one mm-hmm. is the last one, yeah. which I guess yeah, go out on a high. Right, but uh, I think that it also it's kind of like um, and again, there's a lot of these anthology films. It's worth your while to go looking through some of them because there there are you know blacks. Uh, Mario Baba did a few, um, but it always helps to have sort of a difference in segments. Some are humorous, some are scarier. This last one, though, I think really hit the note for just, it's not, there's not much script to it. There's just a lot of interaction with a person and a thing. The cat gets to be heroic. So the cat really is the character that you're rooting for the entire movie. Yeah. And apparently, originally, there was like a prologue of, like, cat, uh, like what the cat's uh, impetus was, Mm -hmm. but they cut it. (laughs) Well, again... If you can only afford a stationary car and a fan, well, don't I think have a car it was. I I, right. I think it was. Um, probably my guess is it was the same kind of thing. Only there was a a voiceover mm-hmm. of the cat. Oh no, no! I mean that'd be my guess. This uh, is a whole. This is a genre of movies that people should stop making. I am really. I go to the movies all the time. We do together. Well, because the, there's the re- a voiceover of Kevin Costner being a dog. Okay, I'm sick of that voiceover. So the, I, the I, let's talk specifically about okay, that let's movie talk specifically. for a let's second. Shame them for making this film. What's it called? The Art of Driving in the Rain, or something or some, like that. Yeah, something ridiculous. Which, wow. What um, the hell it has to do with? The, I, I it's know. Kevin Costner's voice. It's Milo Ventimiglia. Vla- Milo. 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 Milo Ventimiglia, get you. You are better than this. Mm-hmm. You're better than this. So yes. stop it. And so is what's her name? Uh, yes, Amanda Seyfried. God. Mm-hmm. Although she, she's okay. I like her. Mm-hmm. I don't like the choices that she's been making. I almost just thought said something about her being in the Alienist, and that was definitely not her. So never mind. That was the other blonde girl. The last thing she was in though was the uh, second ABBA. Oh. oh, that's right. She was in the Mamma Mia. Mm. The Mamma Mia universe. It's yes. kind of like the Marvel universe, only smaller and dumber. Much smaller. Uh, dumber? Yeah. I don't know. How old are all these people when you add up their ages? <laughs> like, that was another thing where it didn't seem when I was watching that movie, it's like it was everyone's age adding up. Like, Who are we talking about? The Mamma Mia characters. Oh, right. No, yes. Meryl Streep was a, oh, a right. bonkers the wrong age, but it's fine. Right. <laughs> uh, this movie mm-hmm. is for no one. I think it's just targeted towards quote moms. It's about a boy who has a race car driver and adopts a golden retriever 
and then marries Amanda Seyfried, and then they have a baby. And sometimes some sad things happen, and sometimes some happy things happen, but the dog just wants to drive. What? Why? Who is this This is an adaptation of a children's book called Go Dog Go, where a dog becomes a racing car driver. It's from the producers of Marley and Me. No shit. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is like the other dog genre books that have been adapted. Like there's going to be like a kaiju adaption of Clifford the Big Red Dog, I feel, is coming next. The okay. Art of Racing in the Rain. Ooh, oh, my God. It's not better. Yeah. Mm, no. Uh, it's based on a book. Narrated by a dog? I mean, probably. Mm. I think Marley and Me is. Maybe it isn't. I'm not really I don't know sure that's what true. the choice was of having Kevin Costner do the dog voice. And he's doing this weird kind of gruff voice as if you're expecting to bark. Here's the thing, though. Any moment. He's not doing a gruff voice. That's old Kevin Costner's voice. (laughs) That's current Kevin Costner voice. As soon as I heard it, I'm like, is that fucking Kevin Costner? Oh, my God. I'm seeing... Y'all, Kevin Costner is not my favorite, I just have to say. I I like him. I find him uh, vastly overrated. I've seen... Two, there are two really good films with him in them. Oh, I'm, gee, I'm counting, that makes up for all no, no, of his star power. I'm not counting Dance of the Wolves, but if you have Brian De Palma's film, The Untouchables. Yes, fine. And also No Way Out, which is a great He just film. is deeply unlikable and not very interesting to me. Okay. But that's fine. Well, I mean, he's not my favorite either, but he's but done I some good still, movies. But what I don't understand is who they think is going to go see this movie. Dogs. But dogs cannot buy tickets or go to the theater. Um, yeah, that's the problem. I don't know how this movie is going to be successful. I don't I, want to I see a movie narrated now, by a dog. Now, this is... Right, no. We're, we're on a tangent now, but mm-hmm. while we're on this tangent, let's talk about a dog's purpose and who the fuck is going to the movies um, to watch a dog die over and over. Y'all are fucking sick. I, <laughs> <laughs> like, My favorite dog movie so far is Cujo. Um, look. Yep. Dogs in movies, I'm on board for. Dogs in movies as whole plot, I am not so fucking what, on board for. What would for. be a dog movie you could recommend? A movie about a, a dog. Movie, uh, that's the thing. I don't want to watch a movie about a dog unless it's a cartoon. Right. We could all dogs go to heaven all damn day. See, that's theologically wrong, but I... Well, yeah. that's just hateful. It's you hateful have hate in your I have hate in my heart. <laughs> But but what I'm saying is, no, I don't want the dog to be mm. the plot. That's not... Well, you, there was like a genre. There's I'm Turner a people. And Hooch and I want to watch dog people. And... See, actually, though, wait, Turner and what? Hooch is not what? solely about a dog. It's about... Well, it's which, about... One, which one's which? I've never seen Hooch is 100% the dog. <laughs> okay, I don't know. I never in his life has Tom Hanks played a man named... Hooch could be like a, you know, a, a moonshiner character. You would hate that movie. There's a lot of spit in that movie. Okay, yeah, don't need it. But need dog it. as character, dog mm-hmm. as sidekick, mm-hmm. yes, fine. I mean, in a certain genre of film. But mm-hmm. dog as entire point of film, I don't know what that is for. And the dog's purpose movies are baffling to me because this animal is going to die repeatedly. And we're going to see how sad everyone around the dog is until they get a new dog that's their old dog. It's the reincarnation of their old dog. 
Even Why, though it crosses like species, uh, not species, breeds. Breeds, too. which is the same species, so it's fine. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Canis, the dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's dog. Uh, but I just don't, that's why you can breed different mm-hmm. breeds together. Okay. If you couldn't, right. then they'd be separate. But um, <laughs> I just, I don't, who's watching a I know many people who won't watch a movie if the dog dies once, let alone a oh, series I of dog deaths. I know a person who refuses to watch The Girl with Dragon Tattoo because a cat dies. Mm-hmm. There's well, there rape, are other there's harsher murder, things in those all movies. Oh, that was fine, but a cat gets injured? Oh, God, no, I can't see that movie. All right, yeah, okay. And yes, I understand that the dog doesn't die, but you are emotionally manipulating me mm-hmm. to believe, to care about this animal and then watch this animal die over and over and over again. It's, it's just wrong. Is it literally like those... It's the same as those videos of um, soldiers coming home and surprising uh-huh. their families. They are constructed to make you cry. Oh, you want a bad one? My horse can't make it through the swamp. Oh, God. My horse is dying. Come with me, horse. No, it's drowning. But that wasn't the plot of the <laughs> that entire was movie. Y'all, no that's from the never-ending story. Die. It's just wrong. And our text does not make it through <laughs> the, the swamp. Wilson! Like, okay, well, the ball died. That's the ball just, didn't it, die. It died. He threw it the ball. Drowned. That's why you need to be supportive of your friends and not throw them in the ocean. Right, exactly. It's just a moral tale. Yes. But it's not the whole movie. A right. dog's purpose is that's the whole movie. I'm going to get this person attached to me, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to die, and then I'm going to get this person attached to me again, and then I'm going to die again and again. Again, I don't know how many times because I'm never watching these movies. Well, it sounds like yeah. But the commercials like make me cry, which is manipulative bullshit that's that because pisses you're weak, me off. Obviously. I am weak. <laughs> I'm not gonna disagree. No. All right, this has been an odd tangent oh, well, at you. the end of there Cat's Eye. Okay, see, but it ties in because it's all about an animal. All right, there we go. All right, uh, do you have? It. Anything to recommend, and if it's <laughs> the good. art of racing in the rain or dog's <laughs> purpose, then I'm I firing you. I completely lost track of where I am, so no, this week. Have you seen anything that you I like have, in the last... last thing that I've seen was what we discussed last time, which was... Um, we don't have to do a movie thing. Have you watched any TV that you like? Um, I finished the season of The Punisher, and the I really The third and it. final season. Which is a pity that it's the final season. Um... Thank you for waiting. You may go. I grew up watching film noir, so I kind of like the Netflix superhero movies because they fit into that genre. Um, you mean, oh, they're not, the, not the movies, the shows. The shows, Netflix, right. Well, yeah, Marvel shows. shows yeah. The, the Defenders, uh, all those characters. I really like how that fits into kind of a noir universe where people are these dirty streets that need to be cleaned up and there's uh, characters that you would find um, in a film noir and you get yeah, to grow with Yeah, it's very Hell's Kitchen. It's one of those things where the city really is a character. It's a character. And that, that gets said a lot, but no, it really is a character in these, in, in these uh, miniseries. And The Punisher, and that you have to warn people, it's really violent. But you care about the characters here. You're given enough time to get to know them and to grow with them. It was really well cast. Last season of Daredevil was really well cast. Um, 
there were some great performances in it. This is, uh, yeah, this is the last season for The Punisher. There's going to be one more Jessica Jones. It's out. We have not watched it. Uh, we haven't it. watched it yet, but I really admired it. It's doing a really great job. So I have to say that I, we finished it last My week. My sense is they may bring them back in some form once Marvel or once Disney has its streaming mm-hmm. platform. Uh, but I think it needed to end its connection with Netflix because right. they're going to pull back all of the Marvel properties from yeah. Netflix to put on their own thing, which, yeah, duh, of course you are. <laughs> so what would you recommend? Deciding. Mm-hmm. The television show The Magicians, I think I've talked about it before. I just watched the fourth season. This is a show that benefits, at least to me, mm-hmm. from binging. Okay. Uh, I watched the first two seasons after it was already on Netflix and complete. Those two seasons were complete. Uh, the third season I watched very similarly. I recorded all of them and then I watched them all in like three or four days at the end of the season. And I ended up doing that for this season as well. I started by watching the first one the week that it came out, but then having to wait a week, I sort of lose track of it. There's a lot of TV. There's a lot of things that we are watching. So if I can just watch 10 hours of TV all at once, it works out a little bit better. So, now, is there anything we should warn the audience about that might go This ahead? show is dark as fuck. There is significant, there are sexual assault storylines, mm-hmm. there's murder, there's child molestation storylines. That Yeah, it's dark. Mm. This is a graduate school level Harry Potter. Uh-huh. I mean, very literally. The first, the beginning is the main character is tapped to go to graduate magic school. Uh, he, of course, did not know there was magic before then. You know the story, y'all. Uh, then it switches no into... Owls. No. No owls. Uh, there are talking rabbits. It's a whole thing. Yeah, it's also... Um, it also relates a little bit to Narnia, the Narnia, mm. the Chronicles of Narnia, right. only their version is Fillory, but there's this series of books and uh-huh. it turns out that place is no, real. I would like to point out that they, this is not in any way to suggest that C.S. Lewis was a pedophile. <laughs> no. Oh, and spoiler think, alert. No, no, but I, I want to make that point because, yes, they're using elements of Narnia. But they are using elements of I Narnia. The they are really not to, making any right. reference to C.S. Lewis. I think they're making a reference to Lewis Carroll, Lewis probably. Carroll, who was a pederast. But, um, but yeah, that was, uh, or there's a, a strong evidence that he was. Yeah, spoiler alert. Right. That's the sexual assault right. part. But I, I want to put that out there because, yes, it's like when I first started seeing it, I was like. No, they're not, uh, make, they're not they're making not. that uh, right. that reference. This is based on a trilogy of books. Now they're going into the fifth season. Mm-hmm. I haven't read the book, so I don't know what follows what. Um, I had issues with certain characters, mm-hmm. specifically the main character, Quentin. Became a Rick Grimes to me at, at some point where I was like, I do not give a fuck about this character that mm-hmm. apparently is our main character and I am supposed right. to give a fuck about. Now, they really fixed that in the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. He's been getting better and also appearing less. It's been a real nice turnaround. Mm-hmm. The way that they end season four, I was crying. Yes, we went over it a minute ago. I'm very weak. I cry very easily. Was a dog threatened? But... The way that they handled the finale and what mm. ended up happening is 
very so if good. If you were going to recommend it, you would tell people it's an adult show. It's sort of dark. It's an adult show. It's sort of dark, but it's and it's fantasy. It's like right. dark urban fantasy. I okay. think they call it because it takes place in the real world and in a fantasy world, but mostly in the real world. And uh, there are a lot of there's a it's a rainbow of people. We've got mm. a Latina character. We've got an Indian man. We've got uh, gay, straight. Well, that's what I appreciate. Everyone on the spectrum. About the, uh, the Marvel Netflix series is that you are looking at. Also, a real diversity of characters yes. there. Yes, yeah. Um, so this one has yeah. that as well. Uh, the characters are very well drawn. They're very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really I really like it. I like it a lot. Um, and I do think that you could make your way through it fairly quickly. The first three seasons are all on Netflix. The last season, I think you can stream on the Sci-Fi app or mm-hmm. um, like on a streaming through sci-fi.com. Uh, It'll probably hit Netflix in December. That's typically the turnaround time. Mm-hmm. And then season five, which they were renewed for season five before season four even aired. Season five uh, will probably air in January or February of next year. Right. So, And I don't know what's going to happen after that. I think they're going to give them enough time when they do end up wrapping the show mm-hmm. to... Not leave it on a uh, cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. I think if they don't get a season six, they'll close it up. Right. I think they knew going into season five that there would, or going into at the end of season four, that they, when they were writing it, that they had a season five. So there is a cliffhanger there, but I don't, I think they're going to give them a hard out and ability to close it up. So hopefully we won't end whenever it ends on a obnoxious but what will happen Mm -hmm. uh thing the other thing i could see them doing is actually closing it out with a film the production value is i mean the the production is they they have a lot of money it's clear that they have a lot of money it's not special effects heavy that it typically is more drama heavy than it is more drama heavy and the way that they cast spells is with Mm. these it looks like sign language um these hand motions, mm-hmm. which I think is like a very cool, smart way to do it. Uh, I mean, there's effects because mm-hmm. they, like I said, they made right. fillery, which is a fantasy world. Right. But it's not as if we're sort of, I don't know, I, I get with magic. It's not stuff. as fantasy uh, and production heavy as a Harry Potter is. Mm-hmm. Because, once again, this is a sci fi original, y'all. <laughs> so, but sci fi original television. Has been has a good track record. There was a time, you know, and I just like the fact that it's actually gotten better because some of the stuff they originally produced, there was a period where they produced really good low budget movies, then a period when they produced really just crap. Yeah, it's. Um, I hate when you can tell that they don't give a fuck. Right. Like the fact that they're still churning out Sharknado movies and then Mm -hmm. naming them after whatever people on Twitter say they should name them after. I'm just like, if you don't care, why are we doing this? Right. But the show clearly is made with mm-hmm. care, so I like it. Plus, everyone is hot. I don't care who you're attracted to. Well, someone in this cast is going to There is that cast member with the glasses. Get you I'm telling you, he loves Alice, and he tells me he loves Alice every time <laughs> the show is on. just puts a smile on my face. I don't even know what the show is about. I've seen a couple of episodes. Like, what is she going to show up? I don't like these other people, but... 
Anyhow. Yes. So I'm telling you, I'm attracted to, to literally everyone on the show. So, uh, yeah, it's a little bit bananas. And I think that's everything. I think it is, too. I think that's going to bring us to the end. I think we've had a wonderful rant. <laughs> I don't even know how you're going to cut this. This is, but I wouldn't cut it out. I'm probably not going to cut. Really hey, y'all! Happy Fourth of July! Here's a long episode where we talk about a lot of different. We talk about a very stuff. kind of slight movie, but but we all enjoyed. And then there's a lot about dogs. For a review of Cat's Eye, we talked a hell of a lot about dogs. That's right. So next up, we're going to watch Silver Bullet mm-hmm. from 1985. Which has the wonderful Megan Follows. And our friend Everett McGill from uh, <laughs> Twin Peaks. Yes, that is correct. And a wheelchair-using boy. Wheelchair-using boy? Who's uh, Corey Haim, right? Uh, it is, yes. Oh. And Gary Busey on The Most Drugs. <laughs> He was, well, that's a redundant sentence. <laughs> he was probably snorting cocaine, you know... Off of that fucking wheelchair. <laughs> hell, he was probably snorting it off his co-stars. It's just like, here, hold your head out. I want to do a line. Um, it's, I mean, that's yeah. not funny. But... So, Terry O'Quinn is in this one. Oh, yes. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yes. So, we actually saw this movie fairly recently. We're going to watch it again. Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, 1985, Silver Bullet. You probably haven't seen it. I'm telling you, you probably haven't seen it. You should seek it out and watch it with us. It's I think real you good. should also, um, if you can find a copy of Cycle of the Werewolf. Okay. With the original Bernie Wrightson, I think it was Bernie Wrightson illustrations. That's an amazing piece of work. That's how what I is got that? to it. It was the book that this is based on. Oh, okay. Sorry, I didn't understand was, what we were talking about. It was about. really, it was one of the early examples of King's really unusual marketing. I was working at... Oh, this is the the first little one that he did, right? right. Yeah. And I was working at a Holmes book company, I think, at the time, and I wasn't into Stephen King at all, but this was a beautiful edition. Like, oh my God, the illustrations and the, the storyline kind of were really compelling. This might have been really... The first thing of his that I really got interested in, just because it, it was it, yeah, it was a unique package. Cycle of the Werewolf, mm-hmm. a limited edition hardcover in 1983, and then was released uh, in tandem and with this it, in a in a paperback. Was it uh, Bernie Wrightson? Bernie Wrightson, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Who you were just admiring one of his illustrations on the Ceiling and Night page. Oh, okay. This just this beautifully detailed. He was a guy who did uh, a lot of the EC comics, like Tales from the Crypt and stuff like that. Yeah, and this is before when he w- would release, like, w- like he released uh, the Green Mile in chapters or in mm-hmm. no- novellas, right. basically. So this was 127 pages, uh, and out. It's not part of a longer work. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, check out your uh, bookstores. One thing do I want to point one? out: Do we have a copy? I don't think I we think, have a copy. I think Stephanie has a copy. Somewhere. Oh, maybe. Okay. Uh, I do want to point out one last thing yeah. about this movie. I was going to mention it earlier. And I just what movie? Mention, Which one? Uh, Cat's Eye. Okay. Because Dino De Laurentiis had money, he put a lot of money into this. The cinematographer was Jack Cardiff. And I know that when I saw... He's named after Wales. Go ahead. Jack Cardiff is the man who photographed possibly the most beautiful color film ever made, Black Narcissus. Black Narcissus is in color. It's in I really thought it was super black and white. saturated color. Okay. Yes, um, but he Lemuel is colorblind, so his uh, viewing of colored films is or color films is 
different than yours and mine. The Barefoot Contessa, War and Peace, uh, The African Queen. This okay. is one of the great cinematographers, cinematographers of, all time. of all time. Okay. So it's it's also worth watching for that. But um, but anyhow. Okay. I just wanted to point that out because yes, that's like he's one of my heroes in terms of cinematography. Okay, so if you have thoughts, questions, mm-hmm. concerns, right, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail dot com, or you could tweet at us tweet, at tweet 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 latecomerspod on Twitter at latecomerspod and. We have a Facebook page, Facebook. Latecomers Podcast. Do a search. You'll find us there. And uh, I think that's everything. Mm-hmm. So I will remind you to take, take your medicine, and we will say, wait, I, how do you say how, What do I do? <laughs> what are you, how did you forget? And remember, better, better late, late than, than never. never. <laughs> Make you carry the fucking Forgot your thing. line. I'm tired. Line. We've been doing this for a long time. Dogs.